1: me, and what has amazed me the entire time we've been studying this, and I think I probably have said it several times, that regardless of Saul's evil attitude towards David, David viewed Saul in a different light, not only as king, which we'll see that he revered him as king, and not only as commander, because the king is the commander of the army, and remember David was in Saul's army, but you might be forgetting one thing too, Saul was his father-in-law.
0: As a Christian, you're called to live in a way that is very contrary to the way of those living for the world. Today, Pastor Dave will be explaining how before David became king, he was hunted down by Saul, and yet David still honored Saul as the king and didn't kill him when he had the chance. David was truly a man of great honor. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24 as he begins his message. David delivers Saul. You are assured.
1: David was betrayed once again and running from the hand of Saul. Saul had his huge army that was chasing David all over Judah, the wilderness, all over Israel. This time it was the Ziphites who betrayed David. And Yet through it all, David pens this beautiful Psalm 54 that we read last week, asks the Lord to vindicate him and give him an opportunity to prove to Saul that he wasn't a bad guy. That he wasn't an outlaw. He wasn't trying to kill the king. And he wasn't trying to seize the throne by force. He wanted Saul to desperately know that. For some reason, Saul had heard from other people that David was going to kill them. And we have a problem sometimes when we talk and do different things. People get the wrong impression. And we hear things and we carry the story around and around and people get the wrong idea. Well, Saul thought David wanted to kill him. David did want to kill him. But David fled before him because he wanted to kill David. And remember, he went to the wilderness of my own. And it's interesting. I looked up the meaning of the wilderness of my own, and it means habitation. He was living there. It was a stronghold. He was staying there. But Saul found out and followed David. And they went to this mountain. Remember, Saul was on one side with his army, and David was on one side with his army. And they were moving around the mountain. And it appeared that David had had it. It appeared that David was going to be caught. Men from Saul's guys were encircling him. And God intervened. And God intervened. The Philistines attacked Israel. And Saul, being the king, must lead his army against those who are attacking Israel. He got word of it, so he stops following David. And he goes and fights against the Philistines. They ended up calling that mountain Slippery Rock, the Mountain of the Rock, Because David slipped out of the king's hands. He got away. And what amazes me, and what has amazed me the entire time we've been studying this, and I think I have probably have said it several times, that regardless of Saul's evil attitude towards David, David viewed Saul in a different light. Not only as king, which we'll see that he revered him as king, and not only as commander, because the king is the commander of the army, and remember David was in Saul's army, But you might be forgetting one thing, too. Saul was his father-in-law. He was still married to Saul's daughter. Saul was his father-in-law. David might have thought that he had some time of rest. Once Saul went to fight the Philistines, David probably went, Okay, well, I can rest a little bit. I can rest. But let's read verses 1 and 2, and you'll see that Saul is ever persistent. Saul is ever persistent. Let's read 1 and 2 of chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. That's what En Gedi means, the rocks of the wild goats. It's interesting to me, if I apply this to our lives, You come through a series of trials. You come through a series of testing. You come through a series of time that seems to be very difficult. And you get to a point where you go, whew, made it through. And all of a sudden, bam, you're back into it again. It's like, wait a minute, what happened here? Well, Satan is always clawing at your heels. He is always there. Every time you get a victory, he's right around your shoulder saying, ah, but this is still happening. And he brings something up from your past, or he brings something up about what's going on. He's always clawing at our heels, trying to tip us up. That's why we got to keep the armor of God on constantly. we got to always be ready for battle, because Satan is always after us. Just like Saul was always after David. You get a picture of Satan always plotting, always scheming on ways to trip you up. He knows how to trip you up. He knows what to do, what to say, what to have somebody else say. But to have circumstances, he knows all these things and he wants to trip you up. He wants to see you fall. He wants to see you curse God. He wants to see you drop out. He wants that. He wants to see you go back to the addiction that so easily beset you. He wants to see that. It gives him more pleasure that way if he can trip somebody up. Satan loves that. He loves that. So David and his men flee and they go to the strongholds of En Gedi, a barren, desolate place. Think about it. Listen listen to the name. Rocks of the wild goats. It's called that for a reason because it's the only things that want to be there. This is a nasty place. Rocks of the wild goats. It's a barren, desolate place because the name affirms it. Only wild goats would want to live there. But it was a great place to hide because there were thousands of caves all over the place. It still exists today. And I hope when I go to Israel, I'm going to see it next year. Hope we're going to get to see this place. There are numerous caves all over this area that are surrounding the hills. You have to remember that this is a great time of testing for David. It's a great time of refinement for David. God was training him to be king over his own people. Remember, Israel are God's own people. They are God's chosen people. Not anybody is fit to be king. However, he chose David, and he's given him a responsibility over his own children, his own people. This was not only a huge honor, but what an enormous responsibility. It's an enormous responsibility. I liken this to being a pastor. I have a huge honor to be your pastor. But oh my goodness, what a responsibility that follows the honor. The responsibility may be even much higher than the honor. God chose David. He needed David to be ready to display the heart of God to the people of Israel. He needed to be able to relay what God was thinking to Israel to lead his people. I liken this testing of David to our refining through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of our Savior Jesus Christ as one of his main jobs. It is a process that includes testing, it includes trials. It includes suffering, and it includes refining. It includes affliction. Lock the door. I don't want anybody running away because I said those things. If you became a Christian to have a joyous and wonderful life, you will right here, but all these things are going to happen to you. All these things will be happening to and I would be less of a pastor if I didn't warn you that this is going to happen. Just read through God's word. God puts us in circumstances. He puts us in positions. He puts us in places to test us, to train us, to build us up. God often uses the flame to fulfill his purpose in our lives. If you want to, listen to what Peter says about this in 1 Peter 1, 7. I'm going to read 6 and 7 and 8. (laughs) In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Man, do I love that. I love that. There are two words that I really like. Your affliction is going to last a little while. I like that. A little while. Doesn't seem like a little while when you're going through the midst of it. But that was that's beautiful. God allows these things in your life to test you, to refine you. And while God is why God is allowing this in your life, we have to remember that he will never leave nor forsake us. He's there right with you in the midst of the trial. He's right there in the midst, watching you go through, wanting you to turn to him, wanting you to cry out for him. He has a mighty plan for your lives. He wants you to trust in that plan. He wants you to trust in that plan. He wants to trust in what he's accomplishing in your life and what's going through it. I mean, after all. What does Romans eight eighteen say? For I consider, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Praise God. Praise God. I love that. Not revealed. What's interesting through all this to me is that David never ever considered Saul his enemy. Never considered Saul his enemy. Instead, he respected him as king. He loved him as a father-in-law, and he reverenced him as being chosen by God to lead the nation. That was important. He reverenced him. He reverenced him. We'll get to that in a minute. But in verse 3, we see David and his men hiding in a cave by the sheepfolds. Let's read in verse 3. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. David's hiding there. This indicates that it was a very, very large cave because it was enough to hide the flock most of all David's 600 men could hide there so it was a very very large large cave so they're hiding in this cave and Saul comes there and look at the rest of verse 3 and Saul went in to attend to his needs David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave Can you imagine 600 men hiding in a cave <laughs> Yeah. Imagine this. And they're hiding there. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes the king walking into the cave. Now they can see him, but he can't see them. Why? Why can't he see them? Well, the cave is dark, but you ever walk from a real, real sunlit room into a dark room? You can't see a thing. You can't see a thing until your eyes adjust. And by then, all the guys can find a place to hide. Now, some of the verses say take care of needs. Others say to cover his feet, meaning to rest. It really doesn't matter which one's which. Saul came into the cave, the exact cave where the men were hiding. Oh, it's just a coincidence. Really? Really? There are no coincidences in God. There are no coincidences. The fact that Saul went in to attend his needs also meant that he went into the cave by himself. He didn't bring any of his strong men. He didn't bring any into 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 his bodyguards and soldiers. They were all waiting out there. And some people believe, and some of the commentators wrote, that all these men, 600 men, or all these men, a lot more than 600, were probably making a lot of noise. So therefore, Saul wouldn't be able to hear the other 600 men. As they were in the cave, this was arranged by God to test David. This was arranged by God to test David, to train David, and for David to display God's heart. Remember, David was a man after God's heart. I bet those six hundred guys could hardly contain themselves. Look at the king! Look at the king! Look at the king! It's the king! What a perfect opportunity for David. There's the king, all by himself, standing there. Now, he's there, right in front of him. The one who was seeking his life. Remember, Saul threw several spears at David several times, (laughs) so he's already shown his hand. Just think of it one thrust of the sword all the problems are gone all the problems are gone away they go no more hiding in dark caves no more running around seeking someplace to hide being chased like a common criminal No more wondering if today was the day I was going to be captured or even killed. No more running and fleeing armies. No more being betrayed by everybody you talk to. Always looking over your shoulder. Always wondering if you're talking to somebody who's going to turn you into King Saul. All that would be gone. All that would be gone. Let me ask you a question. How many of us, if we had a chance to get rid of our own pain, to get rid of our own tormentors, our own problems, would take this instant to do it? Suppose there was a special button that you could push. And you could push it. And everything would be gone. Everything would be rosy. Everything would be cool. That's what David had. David had a button right there before him. He had a button right there before him. All he had to do was take it. All he had to do was thrust them. Would he have been justified? Absolutely he would have been justified. In his own mind. But maybe, just maybe, God has ordained a trial that you're going through right now for you in order for you to learn and trust in Him more. Maybe He's trying to get you to depend on Him in everything. Maybe God has such a great plan for you that He needs you to be refined to the point of trusting in Him alone. Would you thwart the plan of God so you could be comfortable? Would you thwart the plan of God so you could be comfortable? If God had asked me if he could take my son, would I have allowed him to? Maybe God was protecting me from something. Maybe God was protecting him from something. I don't know what God's plan was or is for taking my son. I don't know what it is. But I know that I have to trust in him completely. And I must believe that he knows what he's doing all the time and that he never makes mistakes. Trials, testing can be quite painful at times. And if we don't believe Romans 8, 28, then we can't, we must throw the entire book away. But I don't believe that by God taking my son, somehow, way, he's working it together for good because I love him and I've been called according to his purpose that I need to get rid of this book and never study it again. I can't pick and choose what part of God's word I believe. I can't pick and choose. Well, I can't believe that. i got to go someplace else. i got to look for better things in God's word. Even when we have victory over something, we need to be aware and we need to be alert because sometimes God uses a victory for a launching pad into the next trial. The next phase of refinement. The men tell David. Look at verse four. A, the men of David. The men. Then the men of David said to him, "This is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, and that you may do to him as seems good to you." The men are going. Here he is, David. Come on, man. What's wrong with you? You see him right there. There he is. This is the day. Sounds good. It sounds plausible. There he is. What are the the odds that Saul would walk into that cave? There's so many caves in this area. But what are the odds he would choose that cave where David's men are hiding? Surely it must be the Lord. Well, it was the Lord. It was the Lord. I think the Lord wanted to see what David would do. I think the Lord was looking to see what David was going to do with this opportunity. Opportunity, David, are you going to put yourself on the throne or are you going to let me put you on the throne? Are you going to work mightily hand and then do it? See, David sought God. David was a man after God's own heart. He sought God all the time. And nowhere do we read God saying, How David, you got him. I've delivered him into your hand. No, doesn't say that. Doesn't say that. They must have been overjoyed when they saw David take his dagger out. Here he goes. Here he goes, man. He's going to do it. We're going to get to go home. I'm going to go get to see my wife and my kids. I'm going to get to go home. No more hiding. I can walk down the streets of Jerusalem, happy and free. And We're going to get to go home. We're going to get to go home. They want it to be over. They've been on the run for now for quite some time, years and years and years. Imagine their surprise in what David does next. Look at the end of verse 4. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Wow. What? Did you see what he just did? He should have run him through with that dagger. He cut off the corner of his robe. What's that all about? Why didn't he kill him? Imagine the surprise in their eyes. He cuts off a piece of his robe. Why did he know? Why didn't Saul turn around and go, who did that? It was dark. Many think he might have removed his robe. There's the theory out there that he might have removed his robe and laid it down, and David cut off there. It just says he cut off a piece of his robe. We really don't know the circumstances. Let me ask you a question. Did David's men think him a coward when he didn't kill the king? I don't know. It doesn't say that either. But you know, sometimes when we honor God, we'll be thought of as cowards, won't we? Sometimes when we honor God and take the road less traveled, take the Christian road, we'll be thought of as cowards. David took the road less traveled. He wasn't ready to kill. Look at verse 5. And we're gonna look right into David's heart. You got a great picture of David's heart. Now it happened after that, David afterwards, that David's heart was troubled because he had cut Saul's robe. Listen to the heart of this man. Listen to the heart of this man. His conscience was bothering him so much, he was troubled because he, all he did was cut off the robe. Cut a little piece of the robe off. We don't know how big a piece he cut. But his heart was troubled. I love this about David. I really do. And you look right into this guy's heart. He was troubled. Then in verse 6, he says to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. David's conscience bothered him on so many different levels that he cut off the robe. He Conscience bothered him. It was an insolent act of disrespect to the king. It was an insolent act of disrespect because he humiliated Saul when he did that. It could also be looked at as a symbolic gesture. What did Saul do to Samuel? Remember when Samuel told Saul that his kingdom was being ripped apart from him? What did Saul do? Grabbed onto Samuel's robe, remember, and tore it and ripped it. So it it could be a symbolic gesture there. Happened in Samuel 15 by cutting the robe, but David was David declaring that the kingdom was now transferred to him, or was the piece of cloth that David cut proof that he wasn't going to kill the king, that he didn't want to kill the king? Those are all possibilities that we can look at. Those who said otherwise were liars that he was going to kill. What did David say? This was incredible. He was basically saying that God's anointed Saul was also an instrument of God. Think about this. David was declaring that God's anointed king, Saul, was also God's instrument. He, Saul, was being used to stretch David, to make him into the man God wanted him to be. God was using Saul and this whole situation of being hunted and trapped He was an instrument working in the life of David to bring David into a place of total dependence upon God. Wow. God uses instruments in our lives. He uses many different things in our lives. And we need spiritual discernment to see those instruments and not rail against them.
0: Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of First Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. While we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, right now we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m. along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers that we'll be wise in our decisions and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel right here on A Sure Hope.